So we're going to go through uh, uh, 41 to 43. And uh, um, Deuteronomy 4. And it's a wonderful passage. And it's kind of an interesting passage. I think as we get into it, you'll see what I mean. But uh, as it challenges us, as we, what does it look like as we're talking about imaging for this God? Um, and one of the questions that we have to deal with is what does it mean to forgive someone? What does forgiveness look like? Um, why should we forgive? How do we forgive? What does that even you know, for us as believers? Um, it's interesting. There, there's an explanation of understanding forgiveness in the world that is um, that is uh, quite quite different from the biblical idea of forgiveness, both in reason and purpose. Uh, the Mayo Clinic they uh, explain forgiveness this way. Forgiveness means forgetting or excusing the harm done to you or making up with the person that caused the harm. That forgiveness, you just forget about it. Just, just don't even worry about it. Just let it go. And, and they even tell why. Why you should forgive. Forgiveness brings a kind of peace that helps you go on with life. So you, you, you just forget about it. And so it makes you feel better. It's for your own, uh, um, for your own good. Is that what the Bible means? Is that what it means to look like to live in unity biblically? That when somebody does something, we say, "I ah, don't worry about it. It'll make me feel better if I forgive." Well, is there something more? I believe absolutely there's something more. And it's interesting. We, I think we'll get into it here in Deuteronomy chapter four. So let's read these verses, and then let's talk about how they fit. These very odd verses stuck right here in the middle of this uh, passage. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 41. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan, that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being, without being at enmity with him in time past may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness of the tableland for the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in Bashan for the Manassites. You know, over the past few weeks, we've been taught from God's holy word about the importance of imaging forth God to the lost and dying world. Um, do y'all have a feedback? I, I'm, getting, I'm getting kind of a meek sort of. It's really driving me crazy. Not that I don't need any help. So anyway, so we're talking about the importance of imaging forth to the world God. You know, God tells us that we are not to make images of him. You know, that's one of the big, the big commandments. We're not to do that. We've been reading and studying about that. And, and the reason why is because God, God will make his own image. Jesus Christ. That is the image of God. And he does everything better than we could. You know, he said, he, this is his image, and it will be a perfect image of himself. Hebrews 1, 2. But in the last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the image of God, and, and we're not to try to make one. To make a different one. 
That's it. That is the image that God had. And to do something different is an abomination. And we know that God is conforming us to that image. We know that. That, that was you know, Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among all, uh, firstborn among many brothers. That we are to be his image in the world. God said, I have an image and it's perfect and it's wonderful as Jesus Christ. And then in you, I am recreating that image so that you can image forth to the world what I look like. You can show the world who I am by the way you live at your life. No problem, right? Pretty easy. We go. We got this down. We've just been called to image forth to the world who God is. And, 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 and how are we to do this? What does this look like in our, in, in our lives? You know, so for the last four chapters, Deuteronomy 1 through 4, Moses has been revealing to them who God is and what he's done. And basically all this has been, why? Why are you doing this? Why are you timid this for? Why are you having this? Because God says, I'm the one who redeemed you. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who established you from the very beginning. Everything that has happened, I've done for a purpose. You are to be my image bearers in that in that land. This is this is what it this is what. This is why I'm doing it. Now we're talking about how you're going to do it. And he gives us this really, really odd passage. Really strange. And I want you to look at it. I want you to just step back from it and look at this in the context for just a second before we go into it. So, so look at Deuteronomy chapter 40. You kind of scroll through this. And you read this passage, and it's all about following God's commandment. In, in, in verse 40, therefore, I'm going to read verses, Deuteronomy 440. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. And then immediately after this passage, we find, once again, Moses talking about the law of God. In verse in, in, in 44, this is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. So here we are in 40, talking about the law, keeping his commandments. In 45, talking about the law, or 44, talking about the law and keeping his commandments. Oh, and by the way, right in the middle of this, we're going to talk about the three cities of refuge. Is it not? Is it just me, or does that seem odd to anybody else? You know, it, you, you can almost leave this part out, and it would almost read better. I mean, just listen for just a second if we skip this. I mean, because to me it feels, it would almost be natural to leave this part out. If it read like this, Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land the Lord your God has given you for all time. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. That reads right to me. 
So, so why? Why would God, in the middle of this passage, talking about his law and commandment, says, okay, for, for you to understand this, for you to live this out, you need to know that God is going to establish three cities of refuge. For you, to, for you to, to be fully furnished, to be fully equipped to live out this law, you need to know that Moses is going to establish his three cities of refuge. Because if we did, if we skip this over, if we miss this, we might miss a very important part of who God is. See, God is calling his people to holiness and righteousness, to keeping his commandments. And in the middle of doing this, he wants them to know, he wants them to, to recognize that he is a God who gives refuge. That he is a God who provides a place to run to. He is a God who gives us an escape. You, you need to know this about God. You need to know who he is. So here, right here in the middle of this passage, in 41 to 43, Moses is going to establish these three cities of refuge because God says, you need to know who I am if you're going to image me forth. If you're going to show the world who I am, you need to know who I am. And I'm a God who calls you to holiness and to righteousness. And I give you a place to refuge. I give you a place to run to. And this is exciting. Now, it's interesting. These three cities are on the eastern side of Jordan. They haven't even crossed over the Jordan yet. They're still, they're still out on this side of the Jordan looking over at the promised land. And God said, I'm going to give you three cities on this side. Now, after we get to the other side, I'll give you three more cities. But even right now, even before we go in, even before you enter in and start the conquest, you need to know, even here, there's going to be three cities of refuge. Right now, today, you need to know this. Now, after the conquest, Joshua is going to establish three more cities. But even now, you need to know there are three cities. The, and these cities were set about 20 miles apart. The ideal being you could get to any one of them within a day. You could, you could, if something happened, you could get there in one day. Right then, you could, you could go. And this is the place of refuge. But it's God's refuge. And to enter this refuge, you have to do it God's way. You can't just do it any way you want to, right? I mean, you can't, well, I'm a, no, this is, you can't say, well, I like this city over here better. This city is a little more comfortable to me. I, I, can I just go here and call this refuge? No, that's not, that didn't work. These cities are the cities of refuge. But wait, it's unintentional. It's an accident. I didn't mean it. I really should be able to go anywhere I want to, shouldn't I? No. These cities, just these cities, the ones God's established, they're the ones. And the first condition is, he said about this, about these refuges, the first, as he sets it up, the first condition is that the murder had to be unintentional. 
And I know, I know the Bible, our Bible, and most Bibles translate this word manslayer. But unfortunately, the Hebrew's not that politically correct. It might be unintentional, but in the Hebrew, they still call it murder. You still kill someone who's created in God's image. Numbers 35, where, where Moses is talking about this, this, this passage about establishing these manslayers, I mean, the sea's refuge. And the word is used in, 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 in verses 16 through 18, and it's the same word who talks about the one who brings about unintentional death, and it says it like this. But if he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. And if he struck him down with a stone tool, with a stone tool that could cause death, and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer should be put to death. Or if he struck him down with a wooden tool that would cause death, then he died. He is a murderer, and the murderer should be put to death. So even if you did it unintentionally, you murdered someone. And, that's, and if you did, you had a place of refuge, a place to run to. But it had to be unintentional. And we'll talk about it a little bit later. Numbers 35 to, in that same passage, a little bit before, 11 through 12, as, as he is establishing these cities, then you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The city shall be, shall be for you a refuge from the avenger that the manslayer, murderer, may not die until he stands before the congregation of judgment, for judgment. You know, so this one, the first condition is it had to be unintentional. And as we've talked so many times before, the Bible does not give any atonement for intentional sin. I'm not saying it's not forgiven. I'm just saying when you read the, 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 all the sacrifices, they're always for unintentional sin. And I think it's, the per, as we talked before, the purpose of that is you cannot presume upon the grace of God. You can't say, well, I'm going to go sin, and then I'm going to give a sacrifice, and that's going to be taken care of. That's the sin of presumption. That's never allowed. You cannot presume upon the grace of God. So that so there there is no forgiveness per by, by, by category, by name, for intentional sins. It's God's grace and his mercy. He 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 we we know that he forgives intentional sins, but you can't presume upon that. And just in this case, there is no city of refuge for the intentional murderer. You will bear the consequences of that of that sin. The idea is that if you kill someone in, in, unintentionally, you would run into these cities, and you would be protected by that from that blood avenger. And this was this was to be a, an act of obedience for both the avenger and the murderer. The avenger could not harm you in the city, no matter how bad he wanted to. I mean, could you imagine this? Here you are, this person, you know, killed your loved one, your brother, your sister, and you you want you want to kill them. I mean, you, you want blood. It's 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 your you feel like you're right, but he's in that city. And he's protected. He's covered by that. 
The vendor can't harm you. But you could not leave the gates of the city until the death of the high priest. Back to Numbers. For he must remain in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the man, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. So here you are, you're within that city, not your city, not your home. That's not where your family lives. But you, and you, you're, you cannot even leave the gates there because if you get caught outside the gates, the avenger can kill you without any harm coming to him. This was to be a temporary refuge. But the death of the high priest would set you free from the blood of the avenger. In many ways, this is, this is that picture of salvation. For God is the blood avenger. And it's against him and him only we sin. And we deserve to be killed by him. But he has mercifully, mercifully, mercifully established a place of refuge. It's not a city. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. But I want you to imagine this for a second. Imagine you know someone that has unintentionally killed someone. They fall, they fall in this category. They were, they were, they were, they were working, and and, and the axe head flew, flew off the end, which happens, or they dropped something and hit somebody in the head and killed them unintentionally. And they know the blood avenger can come and kill them. I want picture picture this scenario. So here's this person. They've just killed this person. You know, they killed it, the guy. You see it, and and, and he's standing up there, just looking down, and the, they know the blood avenger can come. And you go to the, that person. Listen, you need to flee to that city refuge. You need to get out of here because he's going to come and kill you. Their family is going to come and kill you. Can you imagine that guy sitting there saying, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about running to that city of refuge, but I'm a little bit busy today. I I really don't feel like it today. Maybe I'll go tomorrow. Tomorrow might be a better day to, to run to that city of refuge. But I, I'm, I'm, I just don't really feel it today. Could you imagine that? No. He's not going to hit. There's no. There's no hesitation in that. There's no. There's no way. I, I'm considering it. I might go there. You know, I would flee to that city, but I'm really tired and I got a lot to do today, and I might go tomorrow. I mean, or, or, or do you think you need to, when that happens, you need to come up to them and say, listen, you really need to go to that city because it's a beautiful city. Man, it's got some wonderful, wonderful, the, the roads there are nice and level. and It's a beautiful city. You really need to go there. No. You don't have to sell them on that. Well, if that, that person really recognized I killed this person and really recognize that I am in danger from the blood avenger. What are they going to do? They're going to run. You know, I, I, I picture the, my, my thought of this. I picture this is here you are, and you see this guy, and he hits somebody in the head with, and he sees he's dead. His first thought is, run immediately, flee to that city, flee to that protection. Because if I don't get there, if the blood avenger had the faster horse than I do, I'm dead. He's going to kill me. 
you know, the reason people don't go into that place of refuge is that they don't believe their believe that they're sin. You know, I mean, when we when we when we see people out and we talk to them, man, when you're sharing with people and you know when you're sharing with with people and, and talking with them, the problem is they don't believe they're sin. They don't believe there's a blood avenger. They don't believe there's anything to hide from. They don't believe there's there's no rush in this. There's no hurry in this. They're comfortable. What would happen if they really believed that that there's a blood avenger who's ready, who, who can, who's if they catch them before they reach that place of refuge? It's just such a a, a misunderstanding. The problem isn't that they don't think the city's good enough. The problem is they don't know their sin and and, and the, the judgment for their sin. And you see, and this is what irresistible grace looks like. This is what irresistible grace feels like. When I recognize my sin, and I recognize that 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 there's a blood avenger who's coming to get kill me, and I know there's a city of refuge, I'm going to run in there. You can't stop me from running in there. You don't have to convince me to run to run to it. There's a desire to flee from their sin. You see, because if they don't flee, they don't recognize their sin and, and the depravity of sin, and there is no forgiveness. So what does this mean to us, though? So here, we're, here God has established these three, these three cities of refuge and said, this, this is a picture of who I am that, that you need to be imaging forth so how? How are we to image this forth? I think the first way we image this forth is we're to run from our sin. We are to flee from our sin. When we sin, whether intentionally or, or unintentionally, we run to Christ. There is an immediate turning from that. We see our sin and we know the danger of our sin. And we turn from them immediately. Second of all, we rejoice when we see others running to that place of refuge. You know, here you are, you're standing on the wall, and you see this man running, and you see the avenger coming behind him. You rejoice when he makes it. That's good news. But second of all, and this is what I really want to talk about, for us as we image this forth, is we're to offer forgiveness and refuge to others that sin against us. We are to image this forth to the world. I want to be very clear about this. That we're talking about how we're to forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is a lot different than how we treat the unbelievers. You know, when, when an unbeliever sins against us, when, when an unbeliever does something to us, we have one response. We rejoice. We rejoice because we've been found worthy to suffer as Christ suffered. When an unbeliever does something against us, we don't we don't demand them forgiveness from them. They're lost. They're in their sins. There's only one person they need to go to forgiveness, and that's Christ. Not us. 
So, so, so there is this, this picture. When an unbeliever sins, uh, we forgive them, not because we're nice people or not because we feel better, but because we're not our own. We're bought with a price. We belong to Christ. They didn't hurt us. They attacked Christ and his property. So, so, so the fact that you've been found worthy to be treated as Jesus Christ, rejoice. We don't bear any grudge. Because what they did was not at us, but against our Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul was was persecuting the church, Christ didn't come and say, Paul, why are you picking on my people? No. Why are you attacking me? So when an unbeliever comes, it's different. We're talking about, how, how about within the church? How about us? What does biblical forgiveness look like here at Covenant Baptist Church? What does that look like between brothers? Within church, there is a lot of responsibility for forgiveness. John 20, 23. If you, talking to talking to the church, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. But if, if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the responsibility. I, I don't think Christ was kidding here, do you? I, I don't think he misspoke. I, I listen to this verse again, church. If you forgive the, the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So how are we forgive? How are we to carry out biblical forgiveness? You know, how, how do we do this right? Because this, this is kind of a, I mean, I, I want to, I don't like this verse. I don't like this responsibility. This is not a comfortable place for me. So we have to get it right. So how do we carry out biblical forgiveness? First of all, we need to know that biblical forgiveness is founded upon atonement and repentance. We need to know that biblical forgiveness is founded upon atonement and forgiveness, both and. There must be atonement. This, now, I don't mean atonement as in they have to pay it back to me. I mean founded upon the atonement of Jesus Christ. This is not some sort of fuzzy, feel-good forgiveness. We're just, I'm just going to forget about it. I'm just going to forget about it and go on. Now, we're talking, there's, there's sin here. And again, it's important to know, we're not talking about, they hurt my feelings because they didn't look at me right, or they didn't shake my hand, or they were too busy. We're not, this, is, this is, you know, we're, we're to love one another, and this should be, this is not a part of it. We're talking about there's sin here. There, there's issues here. And, and, and so, so we're not, we're not. This is this is not the fuzzy, feel-good forgiveness that that the Mayo that that Mayo Clinic in the world teaches. We're not doing this so we feel better. 
or that it helps me sleep at night, or I just want to call it, not cause problems. This is different than this. This is biblical forgiveness. We forgive because we were forgiven. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We're forgiven through the atonement. And so we're also to forgive others through the atonement of Christ. It is because of Christ and what he did. That's the only way there can be forgiveness. Because that sin is also paid for in Christ. Second, we need to understand that we're forgiving others not for our own sake, but for the sake of the gospel. This is how we show the world what the gospel looks like. As we live this out before one another, by loving one another and forgiving one another and teaching the world what forgiveness looks like, we're teaching them that we are discipling the world on what the gospel means. So what does it mean that, 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 that there are no unforgiving sins in God's kingdom? You know, God, God doesn't just forget about any sin. And this is what's so incredibly unique about, the, about the Christianity. You know, the Muslims have forgiveness. They have a forgiveness. It's, it's sort of, it's kind of forget. Well, you know, you didn't have good things, and God just sort of forgets about all the bad things you do, and it'll be okay. The Buddhists have forgiveness. Well, you know, you just sort of, you know, you just sort of do enough good things, and God just sort of, He just sort of washes over the bad things, and it'll be okay. But our God's a holy God, a righteous God, and He said, "No, every sin must be paid for. Every sin must be atoned for." So when we have, so when we have sin in our body. There must be forgiveness, but it must be biblical. And not just, well, we're just not going to look at this. We're, not going to, we're just going to forget about it and go on and don't worry about it. So how does God respond to sin? With justice and mercy. In Matthew 16, where Jesus established the church, when he's talking to, to Peter in 16, 18, and he said, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Yesterday, as Corey mentioned, you know, there, there's two cities we're talking about here. One is the city of refuge you run to, and the other is the city of hell. They have their own gates. But this is not the city we want to run into, is it? We want to be in the other city, the one with the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He says, I will give... Christ tells Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Going back to the responsibility. How do, we, how, do we live, how do we live this out? You know, we're so much into autonomy in our Western world. Well, just, we just want to come to church, and we just want to be a part of the church, and we just, want to, we just want to be here, and we just want to go home. We'll come back next week, and if you feed me or I see something you don't like, I'm going to go over here because i got another church I can go to. I'll have to go to you. 
This is not the picture that Christ is speaking of. He's speaking of a, of a, of a group that's bound together, that's, that's working together to image this forth. And he's telling Peter, upon your confession of who I am, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you, the church, bind on earth should be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth should be loose in heaven. This is a call to be a part of a body, to join ourselves together, not for our own good, but again, for the sake of the gospel. So we are joined together. We're in this part. We're in these members together. We're here. We are. We're bound. And when our brother sins against us, what do we do? Well, it depends. Do they recognize their sin? And do they repent? If they do, we forgive them. Luke seventeen three. Pay attention to yourselves. As your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So in this body, as we're joined together, if a brother comes and sins and he recognizes his sin and he runs back and he repents, we forgive him. If you want to know how many times, just ask how many times you want God to forgive you. Kind of, kind of keep that in mind. You know, just how many times you want to forgive? Well, how many times do you want forgiveness? And you just put that limit wherever you feel comfortable. Okay. I know for me it's pretty high up there. Okay, just so you know. But this, this is how we live. To get, this is how we model this out. This is how we teach the world that we know how often we're forgiven. Because we forgive one another that way. But what if they don't repent? You know, we'd love to say that every time, I would love to say, every time I sin, man, I just know it right off and I'm ready, I run to God's forgiveness. Sometimes, and I know you find it hard to believe, sometimes I don't recognize my sin right off. Or don't, it, didn't, it didn't hit me. Man, I sin there right off. Sometimes I need Corey call me up, write me texts. Or need God's word to come later. It goes on in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So here he is. You, 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 there's a sin there. There's a sin between me and Matt. I, I've seen that. So I go to Matt alone and say, Matt, there, there's a sin there. There's a problem. And he repents. And he asks forgiveness. And we're restored. And the fellowship's restored. And we're living this out again. And it's important. But if they don't repent, what do we do for the sake of of the gospel. There must be church discipline. There must be church discipline. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established in the evidence of two 
or three witnesses. Now, these, these two or three witnesses, they're again, as I mentioned yesterday, they're not going to gang up. They're not like saying, I'm going to get two or three people, and we're going to go, and then we're just going to club Matt into submission with the Word of God. That's not what they're there for. They're there to listen between us and to judge between us. You know, is there a problem there? Is there an issue? Maybe Matt's right. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there isn't a sin. Maybe I'm just too sensitive. Maybe, I, maybe I'm, just, I'm just holding Matt to a cultural standard instead of a biblical standard. They need to be wise in this. But assuming that there is a biblical sin here, there's a biblical standard that Matt has broken, and if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, and I love this word, it's because even the Greek, if he refuses to listen, even to the church, he said, even the church goes to him and tells him, say, brother, there's a sin there. And he refuses to listen. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And then he repeats it back in verse 18. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth should be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth should be loosed in heaven. I mean, he's telling us what he meant there. This, this, this is a weighty responsibility, church. This should feel heavy to us. This should feel so absolutely heavy to us. That we know the only way we can do it is by God's grace. This is why we need. We need. You cannot read this without also reading verse nineteen. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on, on, I'm sorry, if two of you agree on earth about anything to ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where there is two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. This promise, and you hear it, I, I hear it quoted all the time about, you know, God said, where, where there's two or three, I'll be there among them. And again, I, I would never like, you know, you know, you misquoted that verse. I mean, because we know they did misquote it because that, that passage he's talking about, here you are in the midst of this church discipline dealing with this very weighty issue, and I will be among you for that one. Now, we know God's already there because he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So it's not like they're, they're, they're you know, by, by, by misquoting it, they're teaching something wrong. But, but we need to know that this passage he's talking about, in this matter of church discipline, in this matter of loosing and binding here on earth, I, I'm there with you. I'm in your midst, leading you and guiding you. This great promise. So how do we live? How do we how do we image this out? So here we are, as he's talking to the church about not having false images, not having idolatry in Deuteronomy, and as he and as he as he's living out, he says, "But let me tell you, I'm a God who gives refuge. But there's a way you got to do it. There, there, there's a there's a way to do it that images me correctly." And it's not this, well, don't worry about it. It's all good. It's all good. And we are, how do we, how do we live this out joyfully? You know, church discipline, 
and church membership absolutely go together. You can't have a member. You can't have a body of church church membership unless there's also a willingness to do church discipline biblically. And I hope and pray that we never. But the reality is, we do. <laughs> we have this, and we need to be aware of this. But the ironic thing is, this is what's so crazy about church discipline begins with every one of us. Every one of us calling one another to live righteously. When I see your sin, when I when it comes for me, I, now again, I'm not going out looking for it. I'm not trying to, you know, look through your letters and say, man, is there sin there? I can no. That's not what it is. But when God, by his grace, reveals to you something in your life, and I'm seeing this, and I'm saying, ooh, there's a problem there. It is not loving for me to say, well, I hope I get that straightened out before it gets too bad. That's not what that's not what we're talking about. I see a sin there. I go to you as a brother or sister in Christ. I said, there's, a, there's an issue here. There's a problem there. There's a sin there. How do they respond? How do they how do they repent? And how do we live this out? How do we image this forth in front of the world? And this is this is a, this is a big call. As we said, this passage, that passage in John, you know, that's a weighty passage. I I think Christ meant it. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is from any, it is withheld. You know, God has has called us to be unified. This this is his prayer in John. In the high priestly prayer, he, he prayed that we would be as unified as he and the Father is unified. That we would be just as close, just as, as, as committed together as he and the Father are unified. I mean, think about that. Have you ever thought about that? What does that mean? That we're to be as unified as Christ and the Father? Man, I wish I wish Christ, I wish Jesus Christ had a had a good line with, with God that God would hear his prayers. I'm being facetious. God does hear his prayers. This is what we've been called. This is what he's prayed for, for us. How do we live that out? Do we join him in that prayer? Do we join him in that prayer? Can we pray that? God, may we be as unified as you and your father are unified, as the father and son are unified. Can we join him in that prayer this morning? Even though it means all this, learning how to biblically forgive one another, which means going to them in their sin, encouraging them, and even if it means having our sins revealed to us by somebody else. That's a part of it. And yet knowing we have a city to run to, a place of refuge that is Jesus Christ.